for creation breathe its first breath and all it was to be was not yet you were seated there on your throne high and glorious god alone you're the one i worship and adore every moment leaves me wanting more in your presence i am overcome i sing your praise at the top of my lungs man that you would know our names who are we to receive amazing grace my debt is paid and i have been set free stand secure righteous and redeemed yeah yeah you are god the great Worthy is our God, worthy is our Lord, we will sing forevermore. Oh, and worthy is our God, worthy is our Lord, we will sing forevermore. Worthy is our God, worthy is our Lord, we will sing forevermore. Worthy, worthy, yeah. Oh, and worthy is our God, oh, and worthy is our Lord, we will sing forevermore. That yeah. The great I am, holy, eternal King, and yeah, you are God, Yahweh, oh, and we stand in all of you, oh, we stand in all of you. 
Well, good morning, Carpenter's Way. It's good to see your faces. Uh, if you're in the room, if you want to stand and worship with us, you're more than welcome. You do not have to, but uh, we are going to do a really cool song here that you're probably going to want to stand for, but you don't have to. No, seriously, you don't have to. Uh, you can stand and worship if you want. If you're joining us online, uh, just don't be a spectator. Join in with us. Bring your tired, bring your shame, bring your guilt, bring your pain. Don't you know that's not your name? You will always be much more to me. And every day I wrestle with the voices that keep telling me I'm not right, but that's all right. Cause I hear a voice and he calls me redeemed When others say I'll never be enough And greater is the one living inside of me Than he who is living in the world Oh, in the world Oh, in the world Oh, and greater is the one living than he who is living in the world. Bring your doubts, bring your fears, bring your hurt, bring your tears. There'll be no condemnation here. You are holy, righteous, and redeemed. And every time I fall, there'll be those who will call me a mistake well that's okay cause i hear a voice and he calls me redeemed when others say i'll never be enough and greater is the one living inside of me than he who is living in the world oh in the world yeah Oh, and there'll be days I lose a battle. Grace says that it doesn't matter because the cross has already won the war. Oh, I am learning to run freely, understanding just how he sees me, and it makes me love him more and more. Oh, there'll be days I lose a battle. Grace says that it doesn't matter because the cross has already won the war. Oh, I am learning to run freely, understanding just how He sees me, and it makes me love Him more and more. Oh, and I hear a voice, and He calls me redeemed, when others say I'll never be enough. Oh, and greater is the one living inside of me, than he who is living in the world. Oh, in the world. Grace says that it doesn't matter Cause the cross has already won the war Oh, 
and I am learning to run freely Understanding just how He sees me And it makes me love Him more and more And I stand amazed in the prison of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me a sinner condemned unclean sing that again I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me a sinner condemned unclean sing and how marvelous and how wonderful and my song shall ever be how marvelous how wonderful is my Savior's love for me he took my sins and my sorrows and he made them his very own and he bore the burden to calvary and suffered and died alone singing how marvelous
His love for me. standing and you can stand, please stand with us as we read from God's Word. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy that we have been born again, because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. And we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. alone somehow I stand where even angels fear to tread invited by redeeming love before the throne of God above he pulls me close with nail-scarred hands Into His everlasting arms When condemnation grips my heart And Satan tempts me to despair I hear the voice that scatters fear The great I am, the Lord is here Oh, praise the one who fights for me And shields my soul eternally Holy, I approach your throne And blameless now I'm running home And by your blood I come Welcomed as your own Into the arms of majesty The bright and risen sun More beauty than this world has known I'm face to face with love himself His perfect spotless righteousness Oh, a thousand years a thousand tongues are 
are not enough to sing His praise. Oh, and boldly I approach Your throne, and blameless now I'm running home. Oh, and by Your blood I come, welcomed as Your own. Arms of majesty. Boldly we approach. Oh, and boldly I approach your throne. And blameless now I'm running home. And by your blood I come, welcomed as your own. Of majesty, oh, and this is the art of celebration, knowing we're free from condemnation. Oh, praise the one. And praise the one who made an end to all my sin. Amen. Oh, and this is the art of celebration, knowing we're free from condemnation. Oh, praise the one and praise. Boldly we approach, oh, and boldly I approach your throne. Blameless now I'm running home, and by your blood I come, welcomed as your own into the arms of majesty. Sometimes I'm strong, sometimes I'm weak, sometimes I fall in my wandering, but through it all, there's just one thing. More precious than the air I breathe. Grace, amazing grace, unfailing grace that saves my soul. And grace, unending grace, unrelenting grace. That won't let go You took our sin You took our stain You took our guilt Now there is no shame It's our reward 
eternal crown, the endless song. How sweet the sound of grace, amazing grace, unfailing grace that saves my soul. And grace, unending grace, unrelenting grace that won't let go. Oh, and grace, it's greater than our past, deeper than our pain, and stronger than our sin. Your love forever and will last. Your blood will always save. unfailing grace that saves my soul and grace unending grace unrelenting grace that won't let go and grace amazing grace unfailing grace that saves my soul and grace, unending grace, unrelenting grace that won't let go. Oh, and grace, it's greater than our past and deeper than our pain and stronger than our sin. blood will always save and grace will always win you guys throw that bridge back up there that last part of the song just want us to kind of read through that not necessarily sing it just kind of read what we're singing here because it's kind of a uh, go to the bridge grace greater than our past yeah let's read that Grace is greater than our past, it's deeper than our pain, stronger than our sin. Your love forever it will last. Your blood will always save. Grace will always win. Amen. Amen. Let's, uh, let's, just, let's uh, just thank you. God, we thank you so much that we can stand before you, as your word says, holy and righteous and redeemed. And it makes no sense because we know ourselves. We know what we struggle with. We know how we look at people. We know the thoughts in our head. God, your word is very clear that you have adopted us, you've redeemed us, you've called us your own, and there's nothing we can do to change that. And God, I just ask, Lord, as we open your word this morning, and Mark shares his heart where we're at, and I just ask God that help that to become truth. Help it to become something that's not just words on a page, word on a screen, but something that is deep down inside, Lord, that there's nothing in our past that's greater than your grace. There's nothing that's going to overcome uh, just your strong arm and saving us from sin. So we thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning, church. Good morning. It is uh, so great to be with you again this morning. We dropped my daughter off. Actually, um, she starts, I think I told you last week, she starts her new job in mid-September, but uh, moved into this apartment uh, this weekend. Julie's with her this week to finish decorating and all that stuff, and she's got a couple more Wednesday nights. She serves in our children's ministry 
through the rest of the month. And so you'll see her in and out a lot, but we did drop her off, and immediately my, my expenditures went down significantly. And uh, so while I wept on my way home by myself yesterday, I celebrated as well. And uh, I stopped at Denny's on the way home, and I ordered all the breakfast food I could get. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I eat. It's what I do. So I am, uh, anyway, it's, uh, the Wilkies are doing well, and we're very thankful. And Julie and Annie this morning are beginning to look at churches and, and uh, looking for a family to get involved in in the Dallas area. And, and uh, thank you for loving us. I, uh, this is a big week at our church. Uh, if you are visiting with us or, or don't know this, you're going to learn something about us. We are very mission-minded. Uh, we actually believe that the reason we're still here is so that we can share Christ with others. And uh, that's not just locally, but that's also internationally. And we have, <clears throat> we as a church support uh, for tens of thousands of dollars, probably over $100,000 a year, we give to international missions. And about half of that goes towards uh, the international uh, work of, of missionaries that, that go out through the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. But the rest of it, we have individual missionaries here. And one of the things that's been a neat opportunity for us through the years is to send teams to go work with some of those missionaries. And this week, we have two teams going out. One is going to be going to Guatemala, and they are going to leave on the 20, or Brazil on the 22nd and Guatemala on the 23rd. So that's the end of this week. So at the end of the service, we're going to ask them to come in the middle of the room, and we're going to pray for them uh, because we want God's protection on them and then his fruitfulness, uh, but, but also that they learn. Uh, I was asked this morning also to mention that if you bought a Guatemala shirt, they're in. They'll be at the table after. Uh, so um, anyway, just be praying for them this week as, as they go. You know, some, there's a lot of sickness out there, and with the world being what it is, it, it's hard to get on a plane when you're sick. So please pray for the health of those that are, that are planning on going as well. Uh, I do want to mention um, that um, if, you, if you are a carpenter, if, if you're here even visiting and you want to be prayed for, Man, it's a privilege to pray for you. And there's several ways that, that we can, you can make us aware of a prayer need. Number one is between these two doors on the back as you leave, there's a prayer wall, and on that table is three-by-five cards and tape. And you just write your prayer down there. You can leave it anonymous if you'd like, and you can just stick it on that wall. And what we ask is if you're a child of God and you walk by that wall and you see something on there, just grab it. And then put it on your steering wheel this week or on your mirror and just pray for that. Uh, we, recently, there's been some people praying about going off to college or moving out of town and looking for a church. These are real things that people are concerned about. Another way is you can call the church office or email us and just let us know that, uh, of a prayer need you have, and Dolores will put it on the prayer, on the prayer guide uh, that comes out every Friday um, in digital form. All of our information now goes out digitally. We really don't intend to bring bulletins back into the worship center because we actually think more of you are reading it online. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but second of all, um, so we send out on Fridays the bulletin as well as attached to that is our prayer guide. You kind of look through there and see what's going on. But there's another group that I want to keep letting you know about. Sometimes if you're in a car accident or your family or you've got a kid or something tragic's going on and you need prayer immediately, you can call Dolores uh, day or night or text her and she'll send out. We have an urgent prayer group that's through text, text messaging. You may have remembered if you grew up in the church the prayer chain. This is our updated version of that. And day or night, uh, there's about 45 of us, I think, on that list. But take advantage of it. If you have an emergency and you need prayer right away, don't be afraid. 
Um, that is for emergencies. But uh, if you have that, please let us pray because we do care and, and we want to support you. And especially if you're new in town and you're just trying to look for a church and you don't have somewhere right now that you've tied into, we would love to minister to you while you're waiting and why the Lord directs and guides. So that's kind of what's going on. If you are visiting Carpenter's Way regularly and you're kind of like, I don't know if I want to become a member, but I'm here, we want to let you know uh, at the table in the Welcome Center, it says, Welcome to CW. Um, if you'll stop there as you're leaving this morning, there are little cards in there, and my dad and my Karen will be at the table, and you just fill that out so that we can put you on our list and you can get that information from the church, because there's often uh, updates that we want to make you aware, and we'll keep you, as we're able to, we'll keep you informed of our mission groups and stuff like that. So um, anyway, that's, uh, that's pretty much what I wanted to share with you this morning. Um, so let's jump into this. So you see behind you that we still have the study of First and Second Peter logo that, that Jeff made for us uh, behind you, because I want to I answer a question I get a lot. As we have been going through First and Second Peter, and actually before that, I've talked a lot about Jesus' words, seek first the kingdom of God. And some people, um, while I try to be clear, that doesn't mean we're not responsible for this country, or we're not responsible for our families, or we're not responsible to care for our neighbors. The truth is, first and foremost, we should seek the kingdom of God. That was Jesus' teaching. And so through, through um, our study over the last couple of years, I've been getting a question periodically as, of, okay, so what does God want us to do? I mean, I see it in Scripture, what you're teaching, but what does God want us to do while we're here? We're still here, so what do we do? And uh, so I'm going to answer that question this morning. I want to thank uh, all of you that saw the title of the message, What Then Shall We Do?, and said, I'm finally going to learn what I'm supposed to do with my life. So no, it's not that. Thank you for the jokes. You're not as funny as you think. Um, but I do love the communication. And uh, this is going to, uh, while we finished First and Second Peter last week, and I want to thank you for all the feedback I've gotten on First and Second Peter. I've heard from a lot of you. Uh, and then this last week, um, I encourage you to communicate with me, and you can do it through email or text messaging or calling. And this last week, uh, last Sunday, uh, uh, our worship team led us in the Apostles' Creed, and most of you are Baptists or come from for non-traditional backgrounds, and you'd never heard the, you've heard of the Apostles' Creed, but you never read it. And it was the traditional one, so at the bottom it said, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, and that just, that didn't freak anybody out, but it did create questions. And about Probably about a half dozen of you wrote me and said, what is that? It was a small C. What is that? And so I got to explain that that is a Latin slash Greek word, which simply means universal church, the church of all time and in all ways. I, and then, so I wrote that email this week, and that was funny because that opened the door. I got probably three or four dozen emails from many of you. And so a lot of you who grew up in Catholic churches or grew up in Lutheran churches or Reformed church, you were like, it was so great to hear it again. And some of the rest said, hey, I was confused on that. Thank you for answering. I say all of that to say this. Do not be afraid to email me. Do not be afraid to call. I am, how do I say this carefully? Actually, I'm not from East Texas. Uh, my kids can't say that now because they are from East Texas. But I'm here as a missionary to you, to serve you, not just to, uh, to teach you or, or to explain what I'm studying in Scripture, but also as a resource for you to ask questions. So please never be afraid. It may take me 24 hours to get back to you. I try to respond right away. If it's going to be a super long email, some of you realize I will call, and that's like freaky. Am I in trouble? I don't have that kind of authority to get you in trouble. It's always funny when people say that, oh, the pastor's calling, shouldn't text. I love that. That's like my favorite. Don't be afraid to ask. 
<clears throat> sometimes when we're up here, we just forget to explain it. And, and last week, uh, we did the traditional Apostles, uh, Apostles' Creed, and we didn't really explain why it's significant. There are very few passages of Scripture that go through all of the theology that we believe, our core theology. So the creeds were written, the Nicene Creed. The church fathers wrote a few documents that the evangelical church, the Bible-centered church at that time, agreed on. And out of that came the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles didn't write it, but it basically is called that because these are the tenets of our faith. And, and you, you may not be aware of this, but you remember the song that Nancy's nephew wrote, I believe? Is that what it's called? That's a creed. It's just, we believe. It's a great song. And then I think there's another band that has one like that. I think it's off of the Apostles' Creed. And uh, I, I don't know if Zach mentioned it to me this week. But, but what these do, what writers do, is they, they summarize what is the core doctrines of the church, the Trinity. Uh, the, 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 uh, our God come in human form, was born, uh, lived, died, rose again on the third day. So that's what creeds do. And... Uh, um, that's what that was last week. We believe in the Holy Catholic Church. That's not a term we'll ever use again. Um, although I like to talk. I had such great conversations last week. Many of you had these conversations with me when I was moving my daughter or watching on the other side. We had some movers help us that we hired. But we were answering those questions. So please don't be afraid to ask. It is a privilege. And I do want you to know that I walked away last week. Um, Josh is the one who brought that in. I, I didn't know until right before the service we were going to do it. But I want you to know that what I'm walking away with is I need to work better at letting you know that what we believe is not new. It's not American. It's been around for 2,000 years. It has been affirmed from the apostles, affirmed by the fathers of the church, and they are respectable and they're worthy of study. From Martin Luther to uh, John Calvin, I know some of you just freaked out because are you a Calvinist? I just think he wrote a lot of great stuff. And, uh, and by the way, all of the people that wrote great stuff they're all fools, just like David, just like you and me. So there's some great stuff. So, so anyway, thank you for writing me. I, I, the only thing I want to say about that is please keep writing me. I, I'm not really here to reach love good for Jesus. That's your job. My job is to encourage you in your faith. And one of the things today, one more time, one more thing, and I'm done with this. One of the things that I think it's really important for you to know as our pastors and churches are falling left and right, people that we lean on like Robbie. If you don't know who I'm talking about, don't worry about it. But some of the Hillsong stuff, as people that we kind of went, man, that guy's a great teacher, and then we find out that he's sleeping around or whatever, I think you just need to be aware that this, this truth has been being taught for 2,000 years. The core things that we believe don't change because God's people screw up. Not a fan of the Crusades. Don't argue with me about it. I'm allowed to have my opinion. You may love the Crusades. I'm not a fan of the Crusades, but that doesn't mean some of the warriors weren't godly men, right? So that's what I'm saying. So, so a thank you for those who wrote, emailed me. Thank you for those who emailed me after. Um, I appreciate it. Our job is to help you understand too. So, and sometimes I need to be corrected by you. Seriously, if, if, if there's something, I'm not from here, I'm from Southern California, so if I say this is a gnarly text that I'm going to share with you this morning, which it is, that's spelled G-N-A-R-L-E-Y, and you're wondering, what the heck is gnarly? I think that's a bad word. Just email me. I'll tell you Julie made me say it. So we're in this together, and I just, I just want to encourage you. And I, I, I'm serious. I can't say it enough. I'm serious. Come talk. 
You know, it's, it's funny. Sometimes people will come in and they'll, they'll come to my office and we'll sit down to have a theological talk or whatever, and they're like, I've never been in your office. And I said, that's because your marriage is healthy. You know, you, you, you didn't get, you know, you're not screwing your life up, so you're not often in. There's some people who know my office really, really well. Not anybody from Carpenter's Way. But you understand what I'm saying. It's, I'm here for you. I am. I'm here to serve you. And it is so much fun. And it's such a privilege. So thank you. Love you. Um, thank you for interacting on what you're learning from Peter. Uh, and even in this, pushing back a little bit, because that's what this message this morning comes out of. Um, before we move on to the Lord's Prayer next week, which I'm really excited about, we're going to do four or five weeks on the Lord's Prayer. Why? Because I think it's one of those things that we just pray and we don't think about. There's so much in that. And uh, there, there, I mean, it's just so, there's so much depth in it. So that will be started next week. We'll do four or five weeks. That will take us into the fall. And when fall hits, we're going to do Romans together. And uh, it's going to be a fun study. Some of you have, stu- uh, probably most of you have studied Romans. Uh, Zach and I have been talking, and he's going to take a few messages that theologically are more oriented, and uh, I'm going to fix those when he's done. So we're going to have a great time. And you know our goal is to enjoy God together, so we're going we're to keep doing that, and uh, I, I encourage you. So that's where we're heading. But before we go there, we want to finish one more week, or I do, on what it means to live in exile. And I think of, uh, Jeff is really good at these little... Uh, at these, at these little meme things that he makes for the message series. By the way, Jeff, I need one for next Sunday. Um, but I really liked this one because I don't think, I think most of us don't realize how exiled we are. And so like, like those who are going to Guatemala and, um, and Brazil this week, when you get on the plane in, in Houston, Something happens to your soul where you're like, I'm ready to serve the Lord. And you will talk about Jesus to people on the plane. You'll, you'll, you'll pray for your, for your steward, or I'm sorry, what do they call them now? They're not stewardesses. Attendants, flight attendants. I am so politically incorrect. You did that. I used to be so careful. It's Texas. You're ruining me. Okay, but, but when you get on, it's something happens. Oh, why? Why are you like that? Oh, I'm bold because I'm on a mission trip. You realize you're on mission here. It's hard, though, to remember that because you're born here, your family's here, and then you go home, and even if you do it at, uh, you know, Chick-fil-A, uh, you minister there, when you get to your home, you know what happens? We lock our door, we put on, you know, we, we, we do whatever we do, we close the curtains, and then it's like, oh, I can relax now. No, you can't. You're on mission there, too. Yeah, this isn't our world. And I think you've seen that in Peter saying that, and I love this. Because this guy's been carrying that suitcase now for about four or five months, maybe longer. But in that suitcase is a bag of tools that helps him to be a successful exile. It helps him, it helps him or her, I'm, I'm assuming that's a guy, because uh, it looks like a guy's hand, but to survive life as exiles. And um, very early on, 1 Peter 2.11, would you put it on the screen for me, please? Very early on in our study, Peter wrote this. This is, this is remember, um, again, that there were no chapters and verses. We have chapters and verses now so that I can say, look at 1 Peter 2.11. But short of that, this was, these were letters written. So it's pretty early on in his two letters that he says this, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners, wow, in your world, in your homes, every moment of every day, I'm now warning you, as temporary residents and foreigners, to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. 
So first of all, there's a couple things that I think we need to take out of there. Number one, that everywhere you go, or the, or the writers, to, to the readers, I mean, everywhere they went in the Roman colonies, everywhere they went, even in their home, he wants them to know, because your residents or your temporary residents and foreigners, I got a warning for you. And what is that warning? Keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very soul. I want to remind you that temptation is always a problem for the alien and stranger or the exile. It's a problem. I would even argue that it was a problem for Jesus who never sinned. How can I say that? Because he spent 40 days in the wilderness being tempted. So when it says being tempted, it means he just wasn't faced with lies from Lucifer. It means that he actually desired what it was he was being tempted about. And you know, Jesus actually said to the Father on several occasions, and even to the disciples as he's ministering and teaching them, I didn't come to do my own will, but to do the will of the Father who sent me. So it is arguable, or it is reasonable, to realize that even the perfect God-man, 100% God, 100% man, Jesus, second member of the Trinity, it is reasonable to believe that even he was genuinely tempted with a will that was different than the Father's. Maybe he wasn't, but he keeps saying, and I, I'm telling you, it's on about a half dozen occasions, sometimes to the, other, to the disciples, and even once in the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he prays to the Father, not my will, but yours be done. There would be no reason to say that if he didn't have a will. But he always surrendered his will to the Father. You know, Isaiah actually says that Jesus was a man who had no physical offspring. So I don't know if this is true, but maybe Jesus even mourned the fact that he never was able to get married and never had children. He was a man of many sorrows, Isaiah says. So even Jesus, well, the worldly desires were there, but he didn't sin. When Jesus talked of how our natural desire to return to sin, he referred to it or used the imagery of a dog returning to its vomit. And we've all had that happen. We've seen that. If you ever had a dog, it is the weirdest thing, and I don't want to get gross this morning, I already have, but since Jesus used it, I can. But he says, as a dog returns to its vomit, it doesn't make any sense. Why would you do that? You just threw that up. You know what the answer is? Because the dog wants it. It's disgusting. Our flesh, even as followers of Jesus, as exiles, our flesh wants to meander back to our gross sin from which we were redeemed from which we were saved. There's this thing that pulls us, and you know it, because you could have a great morning with the Lord and a worship, and you can go out and have the perfect lunch, and as soon as you get home this afternoon, you will have a desire to do something that doesn't honor the Lord. Maybe you go off on your spouse, or, well, he deserves it, or she deserves it because of this or that, but there's this desire. You watch the news, or you post something that's ugly, and I just, I just want to say that you can post political thoughts, but you can't make fun of the looks of the people that you don't like. That has nothing to do with godliness, and you act like the world, so stop it, right? And by the way, I'm not just talking to conservatives here. I'm talking to those of you who are liberal and constantly post about how we need to show affection and respect for each other, and then you post something. It's not, it's not good. It's not godly. That doesn't reflect the value system of the kingdom, but I want to post that. I know. Me too. I really, really want to post it. I had somebody last week talk to me about politics, and I gave in. It wasn't pretty. 
It didn't change anything either. It just made me feel better like a dog returning to its vomit, and then I felt gross. Because there's freedom in that. God, um, I, I want you to think on this, okay? We like to think of salvation as, as predominantly or simply removing us from being under God's judgment or hell, right? But it's actually a lot more than that. God is also saving me as I surrender control of my life to Him and I, I, I push away from those worldly desires that wage war against my soul. God is protecting my marriage. He's saving me from a destroyed marriage. He's protecting my ministry. He's saving me from disappointing you. He's saving me from self-destructive addictions, whether it's porn or alcohol or drugs. He's saving me from that stuff. We have, so Satan, Satan knows that he's lost our souls if we're God's children, and he's not getting them back. What he's trying now to do is distract our, our ideals, our head. And he does that by telling us we need this thing. And so we have to be careful to understand that God even saved you from the thing, the, 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 uh, the self-medicating, whatever it is, God has saved you from that. We sang uh, that song, and, and Chad even quoted it again. The, the thing about, what's the song about grace that we quoted at the end? What's the name of that one? Grace, greater than my sin. Uh, it, you don't remember? Okay, me neither. Um, the, the, thing that's, uh, the thing that's so cool about that song is it has this mojo, and music has mojo, but it has this mojo of never ending. It's like a cycle. It's like a stuck cycle. Grace, uh, greater than my sin, greater than my past. And it just keeps going. And it, it even talks about how it's, this grace is tenacious. It doesn't use that word, but that's the idea. And the truth is God's grace is tenacious, not just to keep us out of hell, to keep us from his judgment, but also it's tenacious to keep us from self-destruction. Well, why didn't it keep, keep me from self-destruction? I got saved when I was seven, and when I was 15, I went to jail. Because you chose your flesh over God. That's what we're warned about. I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners, and, and as, I, as I try to have a practical conversation with you today and try to answer a lot of the questions I've gotten, please bear with me because I'm going to rabbit trail a little bit. And I, I want to just say that this culture, as Satan takes us down, uh, excusing our sin, uh, this culture has a tendency to say, and it's even in some of the church or in some of the excuses that, God, that Satan gives us, well, I was born this way. C can I just be clear everybody's born this way. Everybody. If you have same-sex attraction, I don't care. I'm not going to argue with you whether you're born that way or not, but it doesn't make sin okay. If you're born with an inclination towards young girls, it's not okay when you're 70 to be investing in that. And I know everybody just goes, I agree with that, Pastor. Of course, of course it's not okay. And yet... We want to excuse same-sex attraction or transgender frustration or whatever. And, we, we want to, and I'm not even arguing whether that's normal or not. I'm simply saying, please don't excuse your sin because it's your skin while, sin while, while bashing everybody else's. You may be inclined to be gr grumpy. Doesn't make it okay. You may be inclined to gossiping. Is everybody looking at something? I mean, <laughs> did you just raise your hand? Come on up here and repent, young man. We will hail you. But it's, it's true. We all got a thing, right? Yeah, and you know what your thing is. You know what your public thing is, and you know what your private thing is. 
And the truth is, we're all inclined like that. And the world wants to say, well, you need to accept our brand of sin because it's natural. Well, that, what they're missing and what the church is forgetting is we know from Scripture that all sin is natural. Adam and Eve introduced us to that. And through the male line, Romans says, and we'll get there in our study of Romans, sin is passed down from generation to generation. That means I'm inclined to whatever feeds my flesh. That doesn't make it okay, but that's why he's warning us. Because we are temporary residents and foreigners. Keep away from the worldly desires that wage war against your soul. You have been saved from hell if you've accepted Christ's offer to forgive you. It's done. But you have not been saved from self-destructive sin. And while God is gracious, your wife or your husband is not. While God is gracious, the spouse or the people person you murder is, is not. The world is not. Your reputation is not forgiving. It's not gracious. And we learned at the end of 2 Peter that it is very important that we prove that we're for the real. Not to God, He knows, but to the people we want to minister to. It's not okay to be a jerk on an airplane or in a restaurant because somebody doesn't treat you the way you think you should be treated. It's also not impossible to find a way to fire somebody if you're their boss in the name of Jesus. Uh, there's great resources to help you do that. Um, but the truth is, if I hire you to fix my air conditioning at home just because I'm a child of God, I'm not letting you steal the copper out of it without you going to jail. But there's a way to minister through that. Well, how do you know what it is? The Holy Spirit lives within me. He'll help me. It's not, you're going to get yours. It's, you need help. And I can't define them all, but you must understand, men and women, we must understand that as exiles and foreigners here, there's a different life. And Peter's first concern was that we stay away from the, the flesh that, that pulls us into living like we're not saved. In Colossians 1, 13 and 14, look at this verse. We have been rescued from the kingdom of darkness... And God has transferred us now into the kingdom of His dear Son. Think of that. You've been rescued from this mess that you find frustrating. You've been rescued from this. Why? Because you need to be rescued from this. What does that mean? It means God has taken you and I and He's transferred us into His kingdom. That's why we're exiles and foreigners and strangers here. Because my identity is Jesus. My, my, my citizenship is heaven. This is my temporary place. And we have to really buy into that. How did he do that? He purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. In Ephesians 2, and, and uh, Adam, are you in here? Pastor Adam, I thought I saw you. Where are you? Okay, Adam, pay attention here because I'm going to read Ephesians 2, which is his favorite chapter. There might, listen, young Padawan, smart aleck, fill-in preacher, there might be a reason why I quote all the time Ephesians chapter 2, and if you paid attention, you wouldn't make fun of me when you're preaching. For the rest of you, Adam used to be the youth pastor at Carpenter's Way. It was a fantastic year, and he thinks that when he gets the pulpit, he gets to dog me, and I'm just being clear. You, you get that. Enjoy your hour, buddy. No, but, but listen to the description of life before Jesus, what Jesus did, and where I stand because of that. This, this text, Ephesians chapter 2, is so full of important information that we have got to buy into. 
In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. Talking spiritually, you were dead. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world. You were obeying the devil. The commander of the powers in the unseen world, he is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way. I love that. What way, Paul? What way are you talking about? Be more specific. Okay, we were following the passionate desires and inclination of our sinful nature. Every part of this message so far I've been talking about, the things that you just do whatever you want. Is that not what our country wants, our world wants right now? The freedom to be yourself, right? I want to be clear. No matter how many principals in your high school tell you you can be anything you want, if you are a girl, you are probably not going to play in the NFL. You might be able to be a kicker, but that's it. Why? Because you're going to get killed. If you, well, I could go off. You know what I'm talking about. You can't be anything you want. If I choose today that I want to be president of the United States, chances, well, actually the chances are probably pretty good today. But, <laughs> but, but I can't be, in, as, a, as, a, as a child of God, as a created being of the creator, God created me to do something. And I think it's completely crazy, because as you know, when I look at my story, I would have never guessed that I study the scriptures and teach every week. I couldn't even read into the sixth grade. I, I had, you know, they hadn't even really gotten into inventing dyslexia yet and all the things. That, I, I could read words, but I couldn't understand. And I've, I've told you this before, so I won't spend much time there. But here's God of the universe going, I'm going to make him a pastor. What? And I'm going to send him to the Bible Belt. How crazy is that? Only God could think that up. But I love it. And I think for the most part, you enjoy my ministry. I mean, that's how God works. But I can't be anything I want. I would be a lousy carpenter. Ask my wife. I can hang stuff on walls, but my problem is that electric, and if somebody would teach me, you know, I, I, I went out and got a battery-powered, you know, screwdriver thing. <laughs> Don't laugh at me. It's called a drill. I strip every screw head I ever did. So if you ever buy our house one day, I just want you to know that those screws on the wall, you're going to have to take, like, Lock pliers, and some of you laughing at me. It's called a crescent rich or whatever. I don't know. That's why I've got my dad. Did I just lose my man card again? I'm so sorry. That's not true, because there's some women here that are pretty talented with that stuff. I mean, the, the fact is, I'm just, I, you, if somebody told you you could be anything they want, and they encouraged you to take Latin in college, you shouldn't listen to that person ever again. Because I got news for you. There's like two jobs in this country that are Latin, and both of them, I, I'm going to stop now because I was about to say something really funny, but it would have been political and appropriate. The truth is, you need to be wise. You need to seek God, and you need to make good decisions. And sleeping with somebody else's spouse is not a good decision, no matter how happy they make you. We just need to say it as a church. It's not okay as a child of God to choose sin over righteousness. It's not okay. Well, I'm not going to lose my salvation. Okay, so now we know why you got saved, because you didn't want to go to hell. But I got news for you. Scripture says if you confess Jesus as Lord, I don't know if you're saved or not. If you don't have a relationship with God, if it doesn't begin the process of transforming, if you can live in a state of sin without any shame and guilt, I think you should ask whether the Holy Spirit is present. We're arguing in this culture the wrong things. Our war is not with gays or same-sex attracted people or transgender people. That's just where Satan wants us focused. Our war is with people who don't know that they can be forgiven and freed. I mean really, really freed. I'm not saying you're going to live 
sin free. Only Jesus did that. I'm just saying that while we're in exile, the tools that we have been given offer us the opportunity to make good choices. And we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to do such. Zach preached a a few weeks ago about how our good works don't save us, but they are clearly evidential that we're saved. There was a lot of questions about that. So do we now believe that good works save you? No, it was very clear. But you know what? The fruit of salvation, of the Holy Spirit's presence, is a transformed life. So I tell you, if you're in this room or watching on TV this morning or on your internet, if you are living a sinful life and you know what that is, a a life that offends God, you know you're out of fellowship with God, claiming to be a child of God, but you have no conviction, you better revisit Jesus. Because this really is a transformed life. This really is an exile's life. And we've we've been left here for a reason. Once you were dead because of your disobedience, we just read that, but we used to follow. What's it look like? Following the passionate desires and inclination of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger like everyone else. That is what we were before this happened. But God, by two favorite words in the Bible. But God, while you were dead, while you were following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. But God, so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you've been saved. So my friend who's not Christian, who's just checking this stuff out, who want to know what the Bible says about what we believe, this ain't about the church, how the church teaches, treats you. This isn't about anything other than God. We're just a bunch of people who struggle with sin, who realize that we're standing accountable to God who has redeemed us. And we're trying to work through it. And we may treat people unkind, but God is working in our hearts. And there's a lot of us in this room that are going, I'm going to change the way I treat people because of how Jesus treated me. Which, by the way, is why we're doing the Lord's Prayer. Because we need to listen. There's this crazy prayer part that says, forgive me, as I have forgiven others. So you're actually asking God to forgive you with the same quality that you forgive other people? (laughs) If God forgave us like we forgive others, we should review the gospel, right? (laughs) Because we aren't very forgiving. And the Lord knows that. So he's trying to help us to understand. God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even while we are dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace you've been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and, can, uh, and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you, Christian, by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for it. It's a gift from God. Salvation, you see, is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it, for we're God's masterpiece. Makes sense, doesn't it? It's all God's work. The only work we participated in is believing. I accept your offer to forgive me. We are God's masterpiece. That's what we are now. Which, by the way, makes us fully different than the rest of the world who are not changed who are not saved, who are not God's children, who don't have the Holy Spirit living within them. It makes us the weird ones. I know we're looking around, and because of the way America has been the last 200 years, we're looking around going, gosh, the world is getting bad. Let's let's be clear. This ain't our world. It's always been bad. It's always been sinful. It may not be bad and sinful towards your group like it is right now, but if you were African-American, this culture was not good to you. 
And I'm not just talking about slavery. Watch the help. That's all true stuff. If, if you're okay with that, then go back to what was done with the Indians and I under, or Native Americans. And I understand that countries take land and destroy things and that America offered reservations for our Native American friends to live on. But you realize, that, <laughs> I, I, and I've talked about this before, but you realize when we found gold on their land, we tried to starve them out. And we did. They ended up in Canada. That's not okay. That's evil. If you give somebody something and find out it's worth more than you thought, you don't steal it back. That's evil. And our country did that. And I'm not saying it's not a great country or a wonderful country. It's been really good to my people. But the truth is, if you were Irish, if you were Italian, it wasn't great when your people came. It was rough. Up north, we had the Polish club, and we had the Yugoslavian club, and we had the, the Russian club. These were, all, these were all groups that during the 30s and 40s gathered together because culture was rough on them. They came here to work in factories. And culture, this is a tough culture. It's a free-for-all culture. And God wants to redeem us out of that. You see, we don't value people on their worth or on their wealth. We as children of God value people because God values them. This is an upside-down value system that goes against even our flesh. When you walk up to somebody and they got pins coming out of every part of their body and tattoos and their pants are half down, and I pick on this one all the time, we don't have the right to sneer at them because that is an individual that Jesus died for. But it's hard. It's hard. That's what he, well, not here, but that's what we were talking about before. Our flesh desires. Well, if they just pulled their pants up and quit talking like that, they could make it in this culture. Well, first we're supposed to seek God, God's kingdom first. I wonder what we would have said to Mary and Martha or Mary Magdalene or David. So he created us anew in Christ Jesus. So what are we supposed to do? So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So that's the answer. What should we do now? The good things he created for you to do. That's fine, preacher. That's one of those verses that I've heard. And Amen. I'll do whatever he wants me to do. But his voice is silent. I don't hear him. I don't know whether to go to H-E-B or Walmart. They both have lousy parking lots. And they both make me sin when people cut me off. Which one does God... I don't know where to go to college. Where do I find a husband? Should I do eHarmony or should I do Match.com? Dear Lord, help me know today whether or not fill in the gap. You do the good things He planned. And the truth is, and this is where I want to be really practical in the next few minutes... This verse doesn't answer that question. Now that we're the weird ones, and assuming we accept that, we really are exiles and foreigners. And so we go to Scripture, and that's what I've done the last few weeks. You go to Scripture to see if there's a passage where God's people were exiles and what instructions He gave. Super practical instructions, and the answer is yes, there is one. And it's very helpful. In fact, I'd like to start by saying, while this pro prophetic truth from Jeremiah, and that's where we're going to be, from Jeremiah is not written to us, it is written for us. In Jeremiah chapter 21, this is what Jeremiah the prophet wrote to the children of Israel, and I'll give you some history on this in a moment. Jeremiah wrote a letter from Jerusalem, that's where he's located, to the elders, the priests, the prophets, and all the people who had been exiled to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. There's a name you're familiar with. This was after King Jehoiakim, the queen mother, the court officials, 
the other officials in Judah, and all the craftsmen and artisans had been deported from Jerusalem. So he's writing this letter, he's already said, he's writing this letter to the people that Nebuchadnezzar had kidnapped and took to Babylon, and then he lists who they are. They're basically all of the Jewish leadership, from the arts and the craftsmen to the king. And he sends this, he sent the letter with Elisha, son of Shephon, and Germa, it doesn't matter, their names, they, they were badly named by their parents. And when they went to Babylon as King Zedekiah's ambassadors to Nebuchadnezzar. So, bottom line, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon had overtaken the Hebrew communities in Jerusalem. This is their defeat, and he takes them captive. And after Nebuchadnezzar, you are probably aware that, uh, that, um, Ju- uh, that, that it goes from Babylon to Persia, from Persia to Greece, from Greece to Rome, and Jesus was born in that. So the Jews until 1947-ish never had a homeland. It's over. So they're kidnapped. And this letter is being written by the prophet Jeremiah to the leadership of those people. This, this had to be incredibly difficult because within the Jerusalem community, there were people like um, a, a rabbi, a famous rabbi who wrote a book called Living Your Best Life Now. Uh, there was a, he wrote a second book entitled I Am, which wasn't a reference to their God, but reference to I Am the I Am. A, a rabbi, did, Rabbi Olstein. Lots of prophets. Wait, wait, I know you're laughing because I, I set you up, okay? You're going la- to laugh a little less. You're going to laugh more in a moment. So here we go. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel in case you're not clear, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. So don't miss how God identifies himself. He is, identifies himself as the Lord of heaven's armies. So again, we want to get to the facts, the instructions, but don't miss this because basically if this one writing this letter through his prophet is the Lord, uh, the Lord of heaven's armies, that means anytime he wants, he could beat Nebuchadnezzar and his armies. Anytime he wants, he can destroy them, he can take them out. He could go to war with Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians' armies anytime, but that he doesn't. He chooses not to. And here is what he wants them to do. You want practical? It doesn't get any more practical than this. Verse 5, build homes, plan to stay, plant gardens, and eat the food they produce. Marry, have children. Then find spouses for your children so that, they, and, and, so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply. Do not dwindle away. And work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. All right, well, those of you who don't think the Bible's practical, that sounds incredibly practical to me. They, they had been thinking, um, excuse me? You have heaven's armies at your disposal? You're watching our kingdom be overtaken by the Babylonians, this wicked pagan king, who's going to make us bow to him. And by the way, you remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? It's because they wouldn't bow to him, they end up in the fiery furnace. Remember Daniel? It's under Nebuchadnezzar that he ends up out of Jerusalem. This is a wicked king. And the people had to be going, "Um, I I thought we were your people. You know the promised land thing? We just lost that promised land. Help us understand what you're doing, God. And here's his response. Plant gardens, eat the food they produce, marry and have children, then find spouses for them so you, want, so you can have many, man, uh, many grandchildren. Multiply, don't dwindle away, and work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Wait. Whoop, 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 whoop. 
what, wait, what does that say? What, what is that fourth line? Remember that debate we have in the church? Does God cause it or allow it to happen? Surely God wouldn't allow His holy people to be in exile. Well, the problem is the Hebrew doubles down on that, and so does the Greek, the Septuagint, doubles down on that. God says through the prophet, and when a prophet spoke, he was speaking on behalf of God, thus saith the Lord, work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Well, that's not very nice. Well, you were exiles in Jerusalem. What makes the city different? Well, I want to be comfortable. Then work for the prosperity of the community you're living in. Whether it's Iran, Iraq, East Texas, Jerusalem, you look at me, you serve me, and don't worry about all that stuff. Can you imagine what they were thinking? You're we're your people, we're your nation. They, we have a land you promise us. What the heck are, are you doing letting us be exiled, sending us into exile? I have no doubt that you can imagine how that must have felt because you've, you're watching it every time you open the news right now. God's not going to let this continue. How do you know? Because that's not God's style. Have you ever read the Old Testament? Yeah, you're laughing. I love it. You're laughing because you're ahead of me. Because we're all in the same place. I laugh when I read it, when I have those thoughts. Surely, God, you're not going to let this continue in the United States of America. And I can hear all heaven going, <laughs> you need to review the Old Testament. By the way, that's why you need to read the Old Testament. Not because you're going to live by the old Jewish law, but so that you get to know who the God you call Daddy is. Wow. I know you can imagine how it felt. Jeremiah 29, 8. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army said, the God of Israel. Don't let, he says it again, the God, the, what the Lord of Heaven's armies, the God of Israel says, don't, do not let your prophets and fortune tellers who are with you in the land of Babylon trick you. Do not listen to their dreams because they are telling you lies in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. Oh, 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 that sounds like what Peter taught us. So Rabbi Olstein isn't speaking for God. This isn't supposed to be my best life, God. Your plan doesn't revolve around my comfort and happiness and self-esteem and wealth as a person. I'm seriously not the I am. No, you're not. Seriously, family, um, the Bible is incredibly practical. We just declare it unpractical when it says things we don't like. Maybe America has to fall to set up the return of our Lord. What a woman to fall. Well, when would you like it to fall? Grandkids? Great-grandkids? I don't know, just after I'm gone. I mean, if we really become that selfish, we should be the people going, I want heaven. I want your kingdom. I want your king to come. I want you to reign. I want to be behind you when the world is acting up. I want you to lead me on the white horse. That's the cry of a church that's been saved beyond hell that is being saved from even now. And this world is going to hell in a handbasket, not because they're bad, but because they were born under the wrath of God. That's why it's going to hell in a handbasket. 
And just because we're inconvenienced doesn't mean that God's lost control or that Jesus is losing. We sang this morning in that same song, grace always wins. That's code for God always wins, and he will win. He may not win over Disney. He may not win over the political thing in the United States. He may not win over Russia or Ukraine, but he will win even if we die in the midst of the battle because God wins. He can't not win. He is, by definition, the winner. And when we start thinking we're losing, we begin to question whether or not we trust the winner. Jesus didn't say, I am a way. He said, I am the way. He didn't say, I am a truth. I am the truth. He didn't say, I am a life. I am the life. The only truth, the only way, the only life. And church, we got to get back to believing that, not just here, but in here. So that when I want this, when my flesh is drawn to sin or anger, and most of you are not committing adultery, and most of you are not addicted to porn, and most of you are not uh, addicted to alcohol or whatever else. We can pick the big ones that we love to talk about. But I would argue that most of us are inclined, are inclined towards sin or anger or resentment or prejudice. No, not against black people, but against people who have their pants around their ankles. I don't want to see their underwear. So send them to hell over their underwear. Most of the time it's clean. <laughs> Seriously. And when we say to our kids, I, okay, so I'm going to pick on my mom a little bit. She's not here, so it's safe. Um, but I, when I was a kid, we, my dad would take us on a Friday night to a San Diego Padres game. I think tickets were like two bucks in the grandstand, right, Dad? And I remember I'd be watching. I think I've told you this a long time ago, but we'd be watching the game, and all of a sudden I would feel my mom's hand on the back of my head, and she would slam my body down. And, and all, as I'm going down, all I see is this pink thing running across the outfield. It was a stripper. Some dude with an ugly body takes his clothes off and decides to run across the outfield with something written on his back. And you know, my mom chose... To, to stick my forehead in the ch plastic chair in front of it instead of just go, look how crazy the world is, son. Don't be like them. Be like Jesus. Seriously, there's two choices. And I'm not saying you take a two-year-old, but you do take an 11, 12, 13-year-old and say, that's not okay. But mommy, I learned at school that they're, they're naturally like that. Well, I naturally want to kill you about half the time, and I'm not going to do that. <laughs> We've got to teach our children... A little more practical here, when your kid that you think is the best baseball player in the history of the world, and they're in Little League, and they don't get to play first base because the coach is an idiot, maybe you should teach your kids you don't get everything you want. Because whether they play first base or not, and even if you're right, all you're doing is teaching them that they deserve what they want. And we do it in the church. And I, I'd like to say that even the church, when they, buy, when they build children's and student centers and worship centers for billions of dollars, all we're doing is communicating that you get everything you want. Come to our group because we're the funnest. We're the most exciting. We're the hippest. Well, when you go out in the world and the world is the opposite of that, what we should be doing is obsessing over Jesus, not the building. We should be teaching our students to live holy lives, even if there's half as many of them, because we're not entertaining them, because they're not coming into the kingdom at fast rates. The best thing to do is raise 12 students who want to go out and share Christ because they're so convinced that they are exiles that they go out and share Christ with their friends. You want to change a school for Jesus? Get 12 kids completely sold out. 12 guys change the world. You want to change this country? It's okay to vote. I'll get there in a moment. It's okay to do all that stuff, but it's not going to be by having the loudest voice. It's going to be by actually having the most humble, loving voice. Instead of telling off your gay neighbor, how about going over there and eating with them? 
I don't want to expose my kids to that. That cat's out of the bag. <laughs> so how about telling them that not only are same-sex attracted people in sin, so are two people that aren't married that are living together. Well, that's different. No, it isn't. Or grandma who gossips, still wrong. So we should stay away from them. No, honey. We should be in the midst of them as the temple of the Holy Spirit. And you're going, well, that's too much to teach. It's only because you're lazy. Hey, I'm with you. I want to thank you. I, one of the funniest things that's happened at Carpenter's Way is sometimes I forget when the kids are in here or not, and I'll use the word gay or homosexual, and a kid will say to his mom, what is that? And mom will drag that kid up and go, you teach him. <laughs> and, and I do want to say one more thing, and then, then, then we'll get close to the end here. But notice how I just changed that? I always say I've only got 10 minutes left, and I take 15. I just said close to the end. But I do want to say that raising a child or a grandchild is much like carrying a box, and we did this with our kids. Just because they pick it up doesn't mean they can carry it the rest of their life. So I think that there's a time and a place where you teach your kids this, and it isn't at two years old. When they're old enough, and you'll know when that is, then you pick up the box for them. But I, did I have I told you guys about this? So this was our emphasis with our kids, and Zach was probably third or fourth grade, and he had realized that whatever was in that box called sex, he, he didn't want to know much about. And one day he asked a question of something he heard at school, and I said, okay, son, but if I tell you, you're picking up that box. And he goes, no, I don't want to know what's in that box. And then if, like in fifth grade, he came home and told me what was in the box. <laughs> I learned tons of his fifth grade. <laughs> this is hard. This is real life. And God's instruction to exiles are live well. Do the best you can. Have kids. That's one of the questions Christians answer. The world is getting so out of control, I don't think I want to have kids. That's not, what God told, that's not what God told the Jews in Babylon. And by the way, you think it's rough now? We're talking about a country that would kill their kids if they didn't bow to God or if they didn't bow to Nebuchadnezzar. And these were Jewish families that, wouldn't only not, that would only refuse to bow to Nebuchadnezzar but would also not allow them to eat Babylonian food. Well, why would you want to have kids? Because God told you to. You see, our kids, too, are missional. We raise up our kids as our young disciples, and we send them out to disciple the world as exiles and freaks. And we're the freaks. We really, really are. I know it's upside down and backwards for us, but that's because you've been changed. You don't even know how much you've been changed. You listen to Hollywood and people on the news, and you kind of go, these people are nuts. No, they're very fleshy. You're the nuts one. Why? Because they're just serving themselves. You're actually willing to die for others, just like Jesus. You know who's nuts? Jesus. Why would he die for a person like me? Because I love you. You're crazy for loving somebody like me. I'm different than you, Mark. I may be crazy, but I'm crazy about you, and he's crazy about them. When Donald Trump turned the Bible upside down and said Corinthians in that weird way, Jesus smiled and said, I died for that guy. Come on. Come on, Donald Trump. When this week our president struggled in the Middle East to put a sentence together, God felt compassion for that guy. He's not worried about our country. He's worried about that man's soul. When Nancy Pelosi takes communion and then promotes you know, abortion, God's heart weeps, not for the aborted child, but for her. For her. 
Because what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose your soul? So, so, pastor, what do I do? There's actually a section of Scripture written to you. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 17, and I'll move through it quickly. Since you have been raised to new life in Christ, you set your sights on the realities of heaven, our promised land, ratified in the new covenant of Christ's blood. That's where Christ sits in a place of honor at God's right hand. Think about all the things of heaven, not the things of earth, because you've died to this life. And your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in His glory. That is the plan that God has for you. It's a plan to bless you, not to hurt you. So put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. Don't be greedy. For the greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of the world. But now it's not. You're exiles. So don't do them. Now is the time, verse 8, to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, dirty language. Don't lie to each other. For you have stripped off your old sinful nature and its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature. And be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave, tattooed, not tattooed, pants around your knees, or free. Christ is all that matters and He lives in all of us. So God chose you to be holy, the holy people He loves. Okay, here it comes. How then should I live, Lord? You must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. <clears throat> I have to look at the Greek for anyone there because I don't think it means everyone. I mean, there's, certainly there's three or four people I can choose not to forgive. After all, they deserve it. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. I hate that part. We're going to remove that from my Bible. <laughs> above all, okay, so above all, Clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect human, uh, harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ in all of its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Some of you are going, okay, okay, Pastor Mark, I got the kids and living and all that, but you said you were going to talk politics. All right, you ready? Here's the answer. Vote Republican. Let's close it apart. Just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That was just a joke, okay? I could have said Democrat, but I got people in this church saying that I'm a liberal, so I have to throw it around. So politically, what do we do? You find the, the person that you think best represents the values of heaven. They don't have to be a believer. In fact, sometimes... They can be worse. They shouldn't be president any more than they should be a quarterback for the Houston Texans. So you pick the individual that you think or group that you think best represents the values of the kingdom. And the church shouldn't tell you who that is. You're very smart. Be prayerful. Pray for them. And as you do, that's how you prosper a nation and the world you've been exiled into. 
vote. I'm going to go a step farther, and please take this as just Mark. This is not in the Bible, okay? There's no excuse for any of you not to vote. There just isn't an excuse. You can vote Democrat or Republican or Independent or Libertarian. You can vote however you want. You can vote Socialist if you want. But our job here isn't just to have kids and grandkids and build gardens and all that stuff. Our job here is to succeed this world, and I think we have an obligation to do that. So you need to be informed. You need to be aware, and you don't even have to watch the news. There's lots of information out there. It tells you what they're going to vote for and do. And in fact, next week, uh, we're going to have, you can sign up to vote. I'm not going to tell you which way to vote. I'm simply going to tell you that that's the best way in the United States of America, how you prosper this country. And when your person loses, which invariably they will, you go out to dinner and celebrate God's will. You don't get mad. You don't say they stole the vote. It looks disgusting when we do that. You don't march on Washington, D.C. unless you're going to start a war. And if you're going to do that, take guns. And if anybody's going to clip this and say that's what I think we should do, I'm saying it's ridiculous. You're going to lose that battle. But you know what battle you're going to win? The one you live for Christ in your world. As a teacher, as a parent, as a grandparent, as a neighbor, as a friend, as a person who shops at Walmart. Half those people don't like your job, their job any more than you like seeing them there. So how about be the brightest part of their day? God, help me to bring hope into a hopeless world. You pay me well. So gas prices are up. I don't like to waste my money there, but at the end of the day, I've got money. I'm hurting for some of you who live dollar to dollar, day to day. You need help with your gas, you let me know, and we'll find, we'll find help for you. And by the way, I'm going to ask you a lot more questions before I give you a penny, because it's accountability. But we're in this together. And we're not in it to be angry or to save the United States of America. We are here to participate in the kingdom of God that never ends, never loses, even if we do. So, ready? Let me try one more time. Plant gardens. Eat the good food they produce. Marry and have children. Find spouses for them so that, they will, so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply. Don't dwindle away. Work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare actually determines your welfare. And if God calls you to run for office, just as a side note, we've had that here. And you lose because somebody in this church didn't vote for you. We still love you. I know it hurts. But it's okay. Lose for the right reasons. Well, losing is still a loser. Only in football. The truth is, losing for the right reasons, isn't that what Jesus did? Seriously, I know he rose three days later, but didn't he lose that day against Pilate? And by losing, he won. It's okay. It's going to be good. We're going to end well. And then we're going to go home and we're never even going to worry about this again. You are going to be thankful for the phenomenal preaching you had on a regular basis, though. You are so lucky. You are so blessed. Please don't email me. That was a joke. Can I have all the people that are going to Brazil or uh, Guatemala stand up, please? I want to see where y'all are and before I decide how we're going to do this.
I think what I want you to do is, would you, would you guys move over to the middle aisle? And then, Kip, you're, you, this middle here, why don't you guys go to the middle over here? And then over here, if there's anybody over here, um, I can't see who that is. Oh, hello, Ruby. If, if you, you can be on the side. And, and look, I understand right now, you guys, that there is a, that, you know, with COVID and everything, we don't want to touch each other. But can we just kind of get around them? And if you can touch their back and you won't get COVID and we've got stuff out there. But we want to pray for these people. Robert, Pastor Robert, would you come up? I saw Henry in, in the shadow. I thought Henry was you. Don't be sarcastic. It's not the fruit of the Spirit. Okay, so we're going to uh, pray for these folks. Let's all stand and kind of try to gather around. If you need to say some feet away, you can stand right where you're at. Nobody's feelings are going to get hurt. This is our family, and they're going global. So, all right. so before I, I pray for both of these trips... Uh, there is something else I'd like to ask y'all to pray about. We are in the process of trying to join together with some other churches in the community to do joint mission trips within the city. And so I would like for y'all to pray for that, for peace between the churches, uh, whatever, you know, whatever may happen with that, uh, that, that we feel like this is a great project to work on God's kingdom within our city and to share the gospel within the city. And if there's those of you that would like to maybe join together on a weekly basis to come together and pray for that, we would really appreciate it. Uh, so thank you for that, for praying for that. So let me pray for these two trips. Father, I just uh, praise you for the opportunity to come before you and pray for these uh, two trips that are going, the one to Guatemala and the one to Brazil. Father, first I want to lift up those that we'll be ministering to that you would open their hearts now. Uh, that you would soften them to hear the gospel so they may come to know Jesus. But, Father, not only for those that we'll be ministering to in those countries, but as we travel, Father, in the airport, on the plane, wherever it may be, that we'll be receptive to listening to you to share the gospel with whoever you put in front of us. I pray for these people that are going on this trip, all of us, that you would uh, use us as empty vessels to share the gospel of those that are around us, that we would be flexible, that we would do what it is you want us to do, that we would remember these, are, these trips are your trips, not our trips. So help us to be ready to serve you in any way that we can. I pray for the people that are going on the trips, Father, that you would take away the distractions of this week that's coming up. Uh, Father, that you would uh, protect our health, uh, give us safety on the trip that you would guide us and direct us and bring us home safely. But while we're there, Father, I pray that we do your will and we would share the gospel with every person we can. We thank you for allowing us to, to, to even go on these trips, and we thank the church for supporting us as we go on these trips. Father, we just love you and we praise you. We thank you for your grace and mercy for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. We will uh, send the names of these folks out to you this week. Uh, if you're not on our emailing list, uh, if you'd head to the table, and uh, my dad or my Karen will sign you up so that you can get those. God bless you.